Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 30 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to keep these going pretty steadily. I missed a few weeks there uh, along the way, just like got really busy or got really busy. But I've got my friend uh, Tom McCormick here today, and I've actually been a guest on Tom's podcast a while back, and Tom himself is a very successful coach. Uh, He's out of London in the UK, across the pond, I like to say. And uh, so Tom is one of those people that I've been trying to get on here for a while. I've got this grand list of great people in the industry, and then slowly, piece by piece, I'm able to check, check them off and introduce these people to you. And uh, we don't always get as much exposure to a lot of the greats in the United Kingdom and, you know, literally across the ocean as we sometimes do with some of our, our North American contemporaries. So it's great to have you here. And I guess a little bit about you so that they, <laughs> I cut you off, uh, so that people know it's, you're not just a guy who's jacked and shredded and helps, you know, guys get lean and, and put on muscle. You've got the education to back it up. You've got a Bachelor of Sports Science. You've got a Master's of Strength and Conditioning. Uh, you know, you're a fitness writer, uh, you and I share Teen Nation, you're also on Breaking Muscle, and your podcast is the Breaking Muscle Podcast. So you've got a lot of, you've got a big footprint in our industry, so it's wonderful to have you. Thank you, uh, thank you, Andrew, really appreciate being on this. It's an honor to be on, I, I've listened to your show, I know some of the other guests, and I'm a fan of their work, so it's nice to be on, um, you know, a similar show to them and, and able to, to sort of share some of my thoughts on things um, as well. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. So. What have you been up to recently in your, in your efforts? <laughs> Honestly, a lot of homeschooling. So over here, um, there, we were in lockdown and the kids uh, only went back to school this Monday. So um, uh, it's what today, depending on when this show goes live, today is Friday. We've had five days with the kids back at school. I've got a five and a seven-year-old. Um, so, and so up until quite recently, um, and for the best part of the uh, um, you know, last six months or well, you know, six months worth of schooling um, has been done at home. So that has been an interesting thing. Um, dealing with that, obviously less time uh, available for, for other endeavors and then juggling, uh, looking after my, my existing client base, uh, the, the people I used to see in person. Uh, the gyms have been shut for a while as well. So I haven't been, haven't been able to have that face-to-face contact in person, but managing them and helping them still progress as well as my online clients trying to get some content out there, uh, as you say, for uh, breaking muscle, muscle and strength, teenation, uh, maybe even Instagram when I'm able to. Um, and, and yeah, so basically it's been, it's been juggling that, but I've, I'm, I'm much, much better versed on um, the curriculum for five and seven-year-olds here in the UK, put it that way. And that, that raises something that we often forget about in our conversations in the industry, how much uh, you know varying lockdowns, because I know the UK has been one of the more heavy hit uh, from fairly early on, even in still till now, I mean, in Edmonton, Alberta, we've been uh, you know, almost on the other end of the spectrum where we've had lockdowns, but they've been kind of minor or short lived compared to what's going on in, say, California or the UK. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who are plugged into their quote favorite fitness professionals often don't know what's changed in our personal lives. Now, me, no kids. So <laughs> there's really not that factor. But uh, anyone who does have them, you know, talk to Pete Dupuy, he's got kids, Tony Gentilcore, you know, uh, him and Lisa have their little guy, Julian, and, you know, goes on down the list. So this has actually been kind of a major change. And that can impact our time, energy, our ability to do all the things that we normally would want to do. And on top of that, there's added time and effort that goes into servicing the unique needs of people in home or limited training environments versus the standardized gym format that 
we all will build a program and go, okay, cool, cool. We assume we're going to have a leg press. We assume we're going to have barbells and weights and, and dumbbells and, and all these default things and a cable system. And all of a sudden you've got someone who has bands. Yes. Oh, it's like, shit. Do we even have video to show people so every fitness professional knows if, you, if you've been in this situation, which I assume you have this year, it actually takes a lot more individualized creativity and effort to take care of these clients. And, you know, there's no choice in the matter. You, you take care of and serve the clients or else, you know, you're going out of business pretty fast here, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, 100%. Uh, and well, I mean, I suppose I'm in the fortunate position in saying weirdly now we've been in lockdown long enough that most of my uh, guys and girls have actually got decent equipment now they've finally been able to get hold of some and so now we have more variety more tools to play with but you're right at the start it was like so i've, I've got i've got these bands uh and uh i've got i've got one adjustable dumbbell that i can get to go to like 12 pounds uh and you know or something like that and you, you had to get pretty creative back then and we went into lockdown originally march last year so we're you know march 23rd so we're almost a year a year in in there we've, we've come out and gone back in so we have had some time back in the gym um but it's i mean in many respects it's a great learning experience um very quickly we all became much better at utilizing body weight and band only workouts um which which i think you know was, was fantastic learning experience I'd, I'd rather not to have uh, had to go through it but by the same token it will I think make me a better coach or, or has already made me a better coach. And I'm sure many of the listeners are, are feeling the same way, way about that. By the same token, we are due to be back in the gym on April the 12th and I cannot wait. <laughs> Well-deserved. And, and I'm hoping at this point, I mean, people are probably a little tired of talking about it. It's been all the memes like this was this past week was literally the last normal week we had this year. We had no idea what we were facing. It was just before my birthday last year. Uh, my birthday is actually tomorrow as of time of recording. By the time of release, mm -hmm. uh, this will be released on the Tuesday. So it would have been Saturday. So the, the 13th for anyone listening. And I remember sitting down with, you know, a smaller group of my friends because a lot of people, you know, felt like, hey, we didn't know what's going on. They didn't come over. Had a few drinks and I realized like, shit, they're going to shut the gyms down. I need to get a, a home gym set up really fast. So I managed to scramble, you know, pull it together. Sure enough, the gyms were announced closed on the Tuesday and it's been a wild ride of a year, but it's also spawned some interesting things. And I, and I don't like glossing over the, the, the negatives and the, and the frustrating stuff. But what, we, what happened was all kinds of time and effort devoted to career that I think a lot of people really dove in and flourished this year. I know that I wrote some stuff for T Nation, like home full body dumbbell workouts. The, the first one was so popular, I had to write a second one because and I'm talking to our editor, uh, Chris, and it's like, like, you know, how many people read this thing? And he's like, oh, uh, 300,000. I'm like, holy mm -hmm. shit, right? Which is a huge number. So I'm like, all right, well, you want me to put together a, a second one with some new ideas? Like, sure, yeah. And that got published. And so I, I think anyone listening knows that despite the hardship, there's probably been a lot of good that's come out of it for anyone who said, all right, screw it. I can't go traveling. I can't go out much this year. You know, I'm going to serve my clients, build business, do whatever I can. And I think a lot of people are going to come out the other side of this thing, very versatile and stronger than ever. Unfortunately, we know that a lot of people will have left the industry, but I don't think those people are mostly the type of people who are plugged into what we're doing here, listening to a podcast like this. I think the people who are listening are the types who are resilient and made it through. And I think you're in better mm -hmm. shape than ever. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think, you know, obviously, we'll, there'll be some attrition, some people will fall out of the industry. And that's a real shame. And some of those will be people that could have had great value. Uh, but by and large, I think you'll find the, the people that were 
not so invested in helping their clients and bettering themselves, but maybe just enjoyed being in the gym themselves and it happened to be a, a convenient job, for example. Maybe they're a high proportion of those uh, guys and girls, I would, I would expect, are the ones that have fallen by the wayside. And I think going forward, anybody who made it through is in a really good position. And Lord knows when the gyms reopen here now, our government did something unique. A lot of people were frustrated by it. I have my pros and cons to it, but they allowed the gyms to reopen, but not the general member base to return. They allowed trainers to work one-on-one with clients. And as much as everybody lost their shit about this whole thing, and it did not help the general populace who are, you know, struggling with their mental health. At least I know where the government was coming from in trying not they're being overly tentative about not putting people in gyms. And, and my thoughts are that gyms are a net positive and I don't think they're a, a major vector of spread. And I think as a whole, keeping people healthier is going to be a, a positive. I, I think most people listening would, would agree more or less. But what I know the government was trying to do was trying to get the gym owners back some revenue, trainers back working. So that way they at least were saving sort of the livelihood side of things. And then a couple of weeks later, they reopened them to general population under a lot of goofy restrictions. How we were... No one was allowed to do anything high intensity. You're only allowed to do low intensity weightlifting and what the hell is even that? And <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of chafing and crying on social media about it. But the way I look at it too, it's like, it wasn't, you know, this versus a free for all. It was this versus gyms not being open. So, you know, maybe just kind of take what we've got for the moment. And pretty soon we know it'll loosen up. One of the, the thing I wanted to talk to you most is you and I kind of share a, a similar origin as those you know, athletic, but leaner guys, you use the term that you were a skinny guy when you were younger. And I'm going to assume much like me, we grew up on a lot of bodybuilding imagery, a lot of eighties action movie stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger and and the muscular types before things went, uh, Robert Pattinson and twilight, I guess is the, (laughs) yes. And we struggled to put on muscle, I guess, early, uh, struggled to know what to do. And you built an entire career and brand around helping guys put on muscle and get lean. I tend to work heavily in the general population. I'm a big guy. We both write for T Nation, which is a strength and bodybuilding website. But I find a lot of my social media messaging will still be, you know, this message that helps, you know, everyday people, general population, get into gyms, be comfortable, and then specific tools outward. So it takes something a bit more to be that, you know, that lean guy who really wants to throw on a ton of muscle and be really lean at the same time. So what, what has to happen to go above and beyond just serving the general population to be really jacked, really lean at the same time? Mm. Well, if we took from my personal experience, a lot of mistakes uh, and a lot, a lot of uh, persistence and, uh, and then uh, refining the process. Um, which I suppose, you know, in some respects, I'm very stubborn. My wife would accuse me of that. Uh, and I would, I would probably uh, recognize that to some extent she's right. Uh, the fact that I'm still doing this after sort of such slow progress for so long is probably a, a key um, principle or key, a key element in, in my own personal success. Uh, and then from being able to transfer that over to helping other guys do it, I, I, because I was, you know, not gifted in this respect, I had to you know keep learning and refining and seeing what works and experimenting on myself and then as I train more people uh, and connecting those dots up and I was able then to find ways to help them I suppose someone who who had it easy doesn't have to think very deeply about these things and you know they they look great uh, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy for them to help other people look great Uh, I think probably one of the key components that came into 
to working for me um, was understanding that I'm actually specifically training to gain muscle. Uh, this same may seem blindingly obvious, but one of the mistakes I made and lots of people I've made is they start chasing competing goals because it's kind of cool or their favorite person on social media does it. And it's like, no, if, if I want to be really good at something, you know, like an athlete focuses specifically on their sport to get really good at it and they are genetically gifted or talented and you know, naturally adept at that, uh, I, I'm not necessary. So I have to be even more focused on that, not get uh, sidetracked chasing competing goals. Um, and then the second piece of the puzzle that, again, it seems blindingly obvious, but my nutrition and understanding that whilst I, for a, a large period of time, focused on the minutiae of training program design and what's, you know, trying to create that perfect program or the elusive perfect program that actually uh, training is the, the stimulus. It creates the potential for growth, but unless I support that with adequate recovery, you know, through sleep and nutrition, um, you know, you, you're not going to, you're not going to get the results. You're not going to get big and jacked. Um, you know, you can train as much as you want to be honest, and you won't get big and jack if you don't support it with the uh, adequate rest and recovery and getting low strategy in place. And then understanding what, that is uh I, whilst i'm going on this the first bit of success i had was getting really lean because i wasn't i wasn't ripped as a, as a, as a kid i was you know kind of skinny skinny fat uh you, you know you sort of talked about being athletic i wouldn't say i was athletic i wasn't a good athlete but i was quite a good sportsman so i i was a good skill-based player uh, game intelligence and i played you know, i played rugby to a decent standard but i played it from when i was eight uh so i had a lot of exposure there but I wasn't the best athlete on the pitch by any, any stretch of the, um, the imagination. And the first bit of success I had in training my physique was getting lean. And I was, I was, you know, I was, it was that kind of lean that you see on the memes doesn't count like 130 pounds with abs doesn't count or whatever, but the, you know, I wasn't quite that light, but first time I got shredded, I was like, Oh, wow, I can actually do something that changes my physique. And that, that little bit of, uh, I've got control. I've got ownership. It gave me the confidence that, okay, if you, if you keep working, you can make those changes. So anyway, the way I did that was a very low carb diet. Now, then I thought, okay, low carbs is the answer. I'll get jacked eating low carb. I'll just eat more. And then for a long time, uh, much longer than I would care to admit, I sort of spun my wheels wondering why aren't I massive yet? Uh, and so, so there we go. There's a, there's a few, yeah, random thoughts all coming in together, but give a bit of background of, uh, of my, uh, what, what's fed into my, uh, my approach, I suppose. So there's a thought in there that reminds me of a, a young client I have. And I'm sure you've come across this too. Um, and maybe some of the listeners um, have had clients this way. We sometimes get clients who have a very strong emotional uh, attachment to leanness, but yet they're actually not particularly big yet. So I, I have mm -hmm. a young um, client, great young man, very intelligent, but he's got a very, very reactionary, emotional, um, uh, almost an objection, like subconscious objection to increasing food intake to put on muscle mass, despite the fact that outwardly he does want to put on muscle mass because there's a fear of gaining body fat. So you're smiling and nodding like you know this one, right? And yeah. you know, me personally, you know, a little bit about my background. I don't have this fear, but I've worked with a lot of people who do. So you're going to hate me when I say this, but when I got really serious about the gym and finally like focused on it, I went from 170 pounds to 210 pounds, pretty lean. And that's natural at the time, uh, at 24 years of age in seven months, right? I just, I'm one of those people that, you know, I pick up weights, I eat a little bit and guess what? The muscle goes on. Right? I walk around at about 255, 260 these days at four, you know, I'll be 43 tomorrow. So that, that part hasn't been too difficult for me, 
But at the same time, I know the consistency and the amount of food that goes into it. So it's not to say it was easy, but uh, I, a lot of other people putting on the muscle mass is challenging, but they have got this inborn fear of gaining any fat. And then once they imagine they put on a little bit of fat as they start to eat more, whoop, back comes dieting, back comes cutting. So how do you deal with that? Okay, so yeah, so I'm nodding along because that is basically one of the major things I with my online clients, the niche that I work with, it's it's very, very common. Um, so there's a there's a few different thoughts that as you were talking about that, describing that came uh, came to mind. Um, so I'm fairly blunt with them. Um, uh, trying to stay ripped year round is a great way to make no progress. So I just, you know, put it out there and and I understand that if they, if this message isn't something they're prepared to take on board um, and like, you know, obviously with a, a slightly more subtle and, and encouraging uh, bit of work from me, if they're still like not prepared to do that, maybe it's better to go. Okay. Well, I, you know, I can't, I can't work uh, with, you know, with, with you right now from their point of view, they might think, you know, you're, you're encouraging me to accept a little bit of fat gain um, and I'm not prepared to do that. Well, if they're psychologically not there, I mean, then the whole process should in, in, improve your life. Right. It shouldn't, it shouldn't ruin you. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable. And that's cool. If you want to stay shredded, then I just make sure they understand. Okay. You can be shredded, but you're not going to recomp your way uh, to being a massive 160 pounds. Like that just doesn't happen. <laughs> you, you know, you can't be to like negative body fat and 160 or something and look incredibly, uh, pretty good. You're going to have to push the scale weight up. So I, I'm fairly transparent. Your weight is going to have to climb. I talk about the rate of gain in terms of what I think is realistic. And I set parameters again, look, if you're going quicker than this, there is a risk of excessive fat loss. We're going to tolerate fat loss, uh, for, sorry, fat gain. We're going to tolerate some because it's, it's part of the process when you're in a surplus and that's what you need to grow. We will control it. We'll try to maximize muscle gain and minimize fat gain. The great news is, and especially for people like this, like you just got, you're going to die and basically the fat falls off. Like it's one of the few benefits to me. It's my wife like hates me again for this, but she's like, if I get, sick or something it's like oh tom didn't eat for a day oh look he's ripped um you know and that is of course an exaggeration but use that to your advantage uh, and this is something i learned you know gradually sorry go ahead i was just going to say anybody who's worked with younger men and honestly i'll even graduate younger even up into like kind of the, the early mid 40s sometimes but I, i've had guys who you know they got a little bit of a belly or whatever they come in working out and i can usually say to them listen you know, if you are reasonably good with your nutrition, if you're reasonably consistent in the gym, the fat's got to fall off of you. And it almost invariably is true. It's unfair <laughs> to any other demographics. And Lord knows if we have, you know, perimenopausal women training, they, they know that, that that's a very challenging demographic to work with. Absolutely. It is flat out unfair. But yes, when you are working with these guys, they, any fears I have about getting lean, unless they're doing something astonishingly weird with their nutrition or there's something very, very odd going on hormonally, just fat that does tend to fall off of, you know, what I would qualify as, as younger guys. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, so uh, the, the, the point again, that came to mind there, like, you know, Eric Helms, who I, I'm fairly certain you're familiar with, he, yeah. he's, he's on record as talking about, you know, four weeks of um, mass gaining of building equates to about one week of dieting, right? Now, what I would say in my experience with uh, these kind of guys, it's like a five to one ratio. And I, I told, I, I tell them this, this is the golden ratio for you. So put it this way, if you, if I get you to um, be in a surplus and gain it and appropriate for 20 weeks, I reckon in only four weeks, you'll be back as lean, if not leaner, than you were at the outset, but you will also be considerably bigger. 
And it's, it's all about delaying instant gratification. It's a little bit different, but skinny guys need to delay instant gratification too uh, for a lot of people to struggle with uh, keeping their weight in check and, and avoiding uh, fat gain. That instant gratification is avoiding the cookie, not having that slice of pizza when you know they, they, they know that's going to push them over the edge, not like never having that sort of thing, but just, yeah. Eat, having too fast a pie arm as one of my clients once described it when he was struggling and um, just immediately reaching for that food that tastes amazing but they know is not uh, congruent with their goals well for skinny guys you have to delay the instant gratification of being able to lift your shirt up and see your abs for a little while and you know what in the uk you can only get about six weeks when you can show anyone your abs anyway the weather's terrible here <laughs> it's gray most of the year so um so I explained that you've, this is, we all have our challenges and yours. Most people would kill to be like, oh, I get, I've, I can't gain weight. I get ripped really easy. I mean, I know it's a problem I have, but no, no one has any sympathy because most people would love that. Now, as in my shoes, I'm like, oh, I wish I was like Andrew and I just picked up a weight and I gained, I gained muscle. I mean, that would be amazing. However, there's plenty of people that wish they could lose weight. So you're going to gain for 20 weeks. All I need out of you is four weeks of dietary discipline. And guess what? You'll be lean again. You may well be, you know, eight, nine, 10 pounds heavier than you were at the outset, surely it's worth it. Because the alternative is you spend 20 weeks trying to stay lean and you're about a pound heavier if you're lucky, like nothing happens. Um, sometimes they have to do it the way they want to do it to realize, ah, oh, this isn't working. And then, you know, it's one of those things, like I said earlier, I learned through trial and error. I tried the myth of lean gains. Uh, I'm gonna gain incredibly slowly. It's only gonna be lean. I'm gonna pack on size eventually and look incredible nothing happens your body needs a robust signal from both your training and your diet to force your weight up or down so you need a, a, you know, a significant deficit to lose fat and a significant surplus to gain muscle it, it doesn't mean you're getting fat and sloppy but you will need a surplus and there's a couple of things in there too is i've noticed over time because i don't specialize in you know young guys who want to put on muscle mass but across 10 years i've dealt with a fair number of them and almost invariably, they just don't have a lot of appetite. That's a big driver. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a genetic component for sure. And I don't like thinking in terms of ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph. In fact, when I see that whipped around, I, I mean, they can be used as ways of categorizing people just to say, okay, that's a skinny guy. That's a guy who's naturally more uh, lean athletic. And this person probably has an easier time putting on body fat, but there's very little science to support the concept of the differences between ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. And if I see that in a book, I, there's a book I read a while back. It was a roar by Stacey Sims. And it's actually funny. So I put up a post recently highlighting a bunch of um, people in nutrition. That I thought these are people you want to follow. You know, your Lane Norton's are on there. Your Sohi Lee's, um, Martin McDonald, who's huge in mm -hmm. Danny Lennon, right? And this account that clearly was linked to Dr. Stacy Sims comes in and instead of acknowledging anything about the post, oh, you need to add Dr. Stacy Sims to this as well, right? And then within minutes, Stacy Sims' own account comes in and says, oh, thank you so very much, which tells <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I, I've read Roar. There are mistakes. There's like nutrition misinformation. There's training misinformation there. I cannot recommend this at all, right? Anyway, so... I just, this attempt on, on their part kind of backfired because I, I couldn't recommend this. And one of the red flags for me was just talking about ectomorph, mesomorph, uh, endomorph as if it were scientific fact versus just a, a you know, a conceptual model mm -hmm. uh, yes. off track there a little bit. Um, it, like this, the skinny guys, they just, they, they think, Oh, I'm eating more. I mean, what they're not eating shit. You're not eating anything. They eat like yes. bugs. Yes. So yes. it becomes tolerating 
eating a lot more food. And yeah. I think for me, I, in, in the phases where I've been putting on muscle most aggressively, or certainly over the years, I, I eat a lot. I have a fairly robust appetite. I've always had a fairly robust appetite. And therefore I've gradually over the years put on lean muscle mass or maintained and stayed very, very stable. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of that's tied to appetite as much as it is to genetics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, so the most hard gainers like the uh, quote unquote, uh, and this was myself as well, uh, were behavioral hard gainers. Okay. So, you know, sure. We don't have stellar genetics, uh, but we are our own worst enemy in many respects because it's our behaviors that, uh, that hold us back. As I said earlier, training creates the stimulus, but you don't get big lifting weights. You get big recovering from lifting weights. And a big element of that is putting the nutrition in. So our appetite gets in our way. Um, and it, absolutely there's, there's a, you know, some under, underlying mechanisms why you might, your appetite might be low, but much like someone who's dieting has to sometimes uh, re refrain from food and go with hunger you're going to have to eat when you you feel a little bit full. I mean, it's again, it's first world problems, man. Like, you know, oh no, I want you to eat a bit more when you're already a bit stuffed. Like, get over it. It's one of those things. It's not that big of a deal. But by the same token, uh, you know, there's plenty of strategies to make that life a little bit easier for you to get those calories in. Um, and I was actually on someone else's podcast on earlier this week, maybe Tuesday, and they were asking about uh, exactly that. And, and much like progressive overload, you can, you know, if you train intelligently, you can get stronger over time. Uh, I believe progressive overload applies in the kitchen and you can train your appetite, you know. So don't try and uh, <laughs> make the mistake I made of ripping out the bodybuilder's diet from um, you know, one of the muscle mags who's, you know, a 300 pound drug taking bodybuilder who's had 15 years of experience when you're 160 pounds and you're in your first year of training, try and copy that, but bridge the gap over years, perhaps between what you're eating and, and the template that's there. And, and, you know, somewhere along that journey is, is what you're going to need. Um, so again, it's not, it's about not expecting to be perfect tomorrow. It's make the right steps in the right direction and gradually eating more. And you can train your appetite up. There's other simple strategies like, yes, yeah, drink drinking some calories um and and eat first drink second is one that works well for a lot of my clients they have a shake made up uh well you know like some some protein powder peanut butter banana uh, and a handful of spinach blended up but they eat their meal and when they're when they're at the point they think i can't eat anymore everyone always has sh space for for some liquid right they can drink it's not a problem and they get those extra nutrients in and they, and they hit their calorie targets and, and that's the, the the key thing the other thing is eating enough consistently so i would in the past eat loads one day like genuinely loads but guess guess what next day i suddenly was oh i didn't have lunch until oh, i didn't have breakfast until you know lunchtime type thing and, and this is a concept again i think it's important with with fat loss say your weekly average uh, and a week's only because we organize things in in, in seven day uh, units of time as it were but if you're in a deficit across that week you will lose fat and and you will move towards your goals like with muscle mass, I think it's not quite so simple. You can't just be in a surplus across the course of seven days because you had a massive day on one day and you're slightly under all the others, but it still put you in that surplus because your body can only sort of synthesize so much tissue on a per day basis, as it were. And so you, you kind of need to make sure you maximize muscle protein synthesis seven days out of seven, or certainly as many of those days as possible. And the closer you come to seven days out of seven, uh, the better your results will be with muscle gain. And the difference is because of um, we don't have a pool or reservoir of protein outside of our muscles. Our muscles are our reservoir of protein outside of the, the amino acids in our, our bloodstream, which is a very limited amount. Whereas with mm -hmm. body fat, we have 
Absolutely. We have body fat. So you're absolutely right. Um, you need to provide in order to optimally grow. I, mean, I think some of the research points to maybe an average of four evenly spaced, you know, servings of protein. I mean, I, I think five is probably a good idea for a lot of people, but uh, something like four evenly spaced servings of protein across a day. And then you got to do that every single day. You can't have, like you said, a day off. In, in, in a way, it is similar to the weight loss problem. It's, you know, the guy who struggles to eat a lot of food thinks, okay, I'm doing good one day. I can, they slack off the next day because they're full. Okay. But alternating between that is, is going to leave massive progress on the table. It's the same philosophy as a person who thinks, well, I ate really well, like four days or five days a week. Therefore, you know, the weekend's a free for all. It's like, mm-hmm. should we make progress at a five to two ratio? No, 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 no. We know different. Yeah. That weekend is wiping out all your progress during the week because you went way overboard. Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, and people have, you know, how much sympathy do you have for someone who diets uh, well Monday to Friday, but then blows it out on the weekend? Most people are like, well, it's fairly obvious where you're going wrong. Um, the, the same same thing applies the, the other way uh, for, for gaining mass. You need to tick the boxes, you know, every day of the week to, to put yourself in the best position. And I think, except if you're someone who struggles to do this, but you really desperately want to achieve it, you're going to have to tick those boxes more times out of you know 100 than someone else will and for longer but you will you will get there eventually i think that's the other thing is most some people respond really quickly uh and then they kind of plateau and their rate of gain slow down now that may be because they they never had to think about how they can vary their training uh, or they push their nutrition practices because they got those fast easy gains and they were lazy or it could just be some people gain fast and then it plateaus where other people it's that they're a slow burner but they can reach the same end point if they stay with it and trust the process and do the right things. Um, so I, I, I think I, I tell all of my guys, like you can, I'm, I'm certain you can get where you want to go. Once we've defined what their goals are, most of them don't tell me they want to look like Ronnie Coleman. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they kind of want to look like a men's health cover model, right? Now that is achievable for most people, certainly within the guys who are on the cover over here at the moment, if they're prepared to do the, the hard yards. And then you also point out like, that they've prepped for that shoot it's nice lighting they've got a tan blah 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 um they probably they probably don't even look like that day to day themselves but you can have a physique resembling that if you trust the process and are patient with this but again it's that quick fix thing it's not it's not going to happen i think one of the other things is managing expectations uh people think you know 12 weeks i can i can suddenly be you know huge and ripped it doesn't happen like that i'm afraid and something else that I should point out here too, because we've reframed this conversation in the context of training men, but this stuff applies very equally to women. Stereotypically, I think a lot of coaches think, well, you know, more women on average, you know, are focused on fat loss. Well, guess what? Lots of guys are focused on fat loss too, but there is an emerging trend mm-hmm. where more and more women value and feel great about, you know, putting on more muscle. And women often have this perception that it's it's more challenging to build muscle mass. And there's some truth and some myth in that. I mean, I have this quote that Teen Nation is memed and gets passed around every once in a while about how, you know, uh, the, the, the women in, and bulky myth, right? And there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff to that, but t- there's always somebody who kind of pushes back and, and they complains about the whole idea of the word bulky. They want the word bulky to go away. Well, my first thought is we still, this is the language the population uses. So we kind mm-hmm. of need to address the fear that's keeping women out of the gym, that's keeping them afraid to lift weights. Let's let's start there. That's where the greatest good is. Like, forget this PC bullshit. I, I'm not interested in playing that game with these people. But there are also a lot of women who they, they are either like, I want to be bulky. I want to be muscular. I want to be ripped. 
And the rules still apply. I think if anything, it can be a little bit more challenging for women, but women actually can put on muscle mass really, really effectively. If they train hard, yes. they can, they can do a volume in a gym that will kill most men. They're physiologically women can and should train higher volumes. They recover faster than men on average. And any coach who's worked with women who want to train hard and put on muscle mass and get stronger, it is fun to wind these women up and let them go because they can do cool shit at the gym. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's very eye-opening. In fact, when, uh, so two, two points, um, you're right about more, more women, uh, being interested in gaining muscle mass. So even though I gave credit, so I put all this information about you, know, if you struggle to build muscle and I'm expecting to get, um, you know, guys age 18 to 35, for example, coming to me and I do, but the amount of women that reach out and, uh, okay, I found that really helpful. Thank you. Or I'm interested in working with you. It was surprising to me. So there's definitely interest out there and, some of the hardest training people I've ever met are women. They, and well, just never go set for set with a, with a woman in a workout because they're like their capacity to recover, go again and maintain a high level of output. Like I could do another set at the same time as them, but I'd be doing significantly less weight and way, way fewer reps than I was at the start it is phenomenal. Um, and, and as you say, inspiring to see. And, and I think there's this, um, yeah, as you say, myth that it's, they can't build muscle and they can't gain strength. Uh, upper body strength in my experience is harder for them uh, compared to uh, men but lower body strength like they are phenomenal when you when you as you say when you get them motivated and, and inspired to do this and and they, they work their ass off like they can do incredible things um and it's quite funny to watch when you have a, a woman you know like i know deadlifting uh, what 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 some of the guys can't do and uh, and just just see the double take uh, from the guys as they walk past like hang on a minute uh, did, did she just lift that? So yes, uh, and, and actually there is research supporting that you know they can they can gain muscle, uh, yeah, borderline as effectively as men in terms of as a rate, but on a relative basis. So they start with a smaller frame. So the absolute change in uh, weight and muscle mass is is smaller, but the relative change is pretty similar. And that's a fact, absolutely. Yep, uh, I, I've seen that same sort of research, and it's almost flies in the face of you know what seems like conventional logic. But uh, in this particular case, women still have to work really, really hard, just as men have to work really, really hard in the gym. I mean, how many guys do we see banging out presses and curls all the time? They're still skinny. It goes back to our original conversation. And so I still tell women, like, what on earth makes you think you are going to have these bachelor girls <laughs> smell the weights, you know, eat a, eat a chicken breast, do some shrugs, and all of a sudden you got pro bodybuilder traps. It doesn't work that way. So yes. it's so very, very safe for women to go and attack the weights, go hard in the gym. And they're, you know, unless they were really seeking to put on a lot bottling muscle mass, they're never going to look bulky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have it with, in consultations with people, um, women, but, but guys too say the same to me. like, I don't want to get too big. And you just kind of, I just laugh. Like, I'm like, look, I've been trying to get too big most of my lifting career. Sadly, I, I have no one. I'm, no one's ever accused me of that. Uh, I have not achieved that much as uh, much as I wanted to. Y you are unlikely to be the 0.01% of the population that will get too big just from looking at weights. And you know what? If if you happen to be that person, don't worry because you'll look incredible after a few weeks of training, and you'll be able to maintain it very easily. Um, it's a nice problem to have. But yes, I, I, there is this this perception uh, that's still out there, which is a shame, really, because it 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 just isn't realistic that. Uh, I'm going to walk over to the to the freeway area, pick up a weight, and and suddenly, um, you know, look, look like a look, look like a pro bodybuilder or something. 
And it's rooted in that. It's it's rooted in the images of the old school female pro bodybuilders, which I mean, Christ, I mean, Jesus, they're using drugs. I mean, it's not yeah. even like, oh, all natural. You get, uh, you know, pro, like IFBB pro men's bodybuilders the 80s saying, oh, all natural, bro. Muscle tech is all you need. Come on, we know better than this. They just can't say it, right? So yeah, images of these women, you're not going to look like that. And it's further perpetuated by a recent generation of, honestly, sometimes it's it's bikini competitors. Like a lot of the local bikini competitors, certainly a lot of the other classes in the untested federations, there is some help there. And so if you're seeing images of some of these women that have a lot of muscle on, understand that they probably are using some extra and that's not an indictment of those people i don't care what someone's doing and really should we care what someone's doing is that person natural fuck no don't care but in the single single context of female competitors who are perpetuating the idea they're using drugs but but outwardly claiming they're natural there is harm in that so i'm a little harder on them and i'll say it out loud like your your data lynn bailey's i i i Maybe someone's a fan of Dana Lynn and, and her media, but I, I take a very dim view on the ones that are screaming to high heaven that they're natural and they're obviously not given their accomplishments and, and their appearance. Um, what they've achieved is simply not just a, not a natural state of being. And they're telling a, a lot of young women. And on one hand, I know there are more women who would be like, hey, I want to look like DLB. Okay, cool. Awesome. Or, or people in that, that world. And if it inspires them to train hard, great. But unfortunately, there's a, like, when have you ever seen a guy who's like, Arnold's, Arnold's all natural? We know he's not, but wow, cool. I could do that. Awesome. And they go to the gym. Like, you've never heard of a guy going, oh man, I don't want to look like that. Like, if you don't want to look like Arnold, I, I don't know what, I, I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> but, you know, far more women than not don't want to look like Daniel Lynn Bailey. And so there is yes. a double standard. And therefore, I think it is important that we are at least a little bit more out there about that message so that way the women who are being deterred from doing the single greatest thing it could ever do for themselves for the physical and mental health which is to strength train that it is not a barrier or a deterrent to them mm-hmm. stepping foot into a gym especially yeah. now with well look what happened the last year and well fitness pros have been screamed down for saying because it's not politically correct to say it and there's a way to say it and a way not to but you know like your physical health and obesity and and other you know things related to obesity are causing worse COVID outcomes. So maybe one of the answers going forward, because God forbid this ever happens again in our society, then you know we're going to have a better outcome if we have a healthier population. Now, how to go about that? Boy, that's a big challenge and we're on the forefront of it. We need to do a better job, but the answer isn't locking the gyms down and, and shutting people in their homes either. No, no. So I completely agree. I think, so firstly, hopefully one of the major... Uh, for, you know, from the fallout of this whole pandemic is people value their health and fitness um, to a much greater degree. Those that previously took it for granted, um, hopefully now have a, had a bit of wake up call and that the messaging from our governments and things like that, that you know, and the media, uh, the wider media, not just fitness professionals, is more positive. Sadly, I have little faith in them delivering on that, but it'd be great if that was the case. Um, so on that point, absolutely. And then the second point about the um, uh, the use, uh, particularly in uh, female uh, female physique, uh, I, I would love for there to be more transparency. I think women are very naive uh, in terms of the use of uh, anabolic steroids or any kind of performance enhancing drugs. They, as you said, they probably just assume these girls, you know, they train and hard and, and eat right and they look incredible. Um, I would also say there's quite a lot of naivety in most men uh, about 
you know, what they can look like naturally and what, uh, you know, I've, I've had people who are like uh, talking about someone going like that, that I want to look like that guy. And I'm like, okay, well, he's made some decisions you're going to, you know, in time, you, you might have to consider some certain things to, if you really want to look like that guy, okay? Um, and they're like, oh, no way, he's, he's on that, he says it. And I'm like, okay, I mean, that, that's nice, but yeah, you realise he just can't cut, I mean, well, actually, a great thing is to a handful of people who now are really transparent and open about it, and I am all in favor i think that's phenomenal so to, to be the person that comes out and goes yeah what like yes i'm 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 using x y and z um be completely open about that because i think that has incredible value for the wider audience the fact that that message will gradually percolate out to people um because another thing that um is a, is a big issue with the people i see is like changing your physique is a incredibly emotional uh, process if you're someone who's bu- been bullied for being skinny um you are it's incredibly emotionally charged and you want desperately to achieve that, but you, you have no concept of the use that is going on to achieve that. They then, um, they, they, they get harder on they're down on themselves even more because comparison and comparison is the thief joy and they feel like a failure because I don't look like this. When you're like, well, okay, like this guy's got some advantages over you. Um, and that's a really important uh, conversation I've had with a few people. Um, and, and I think it's really helped them when they realize, okay, I'm not like they generally think they're a failure because they haven't packed on 50 pounds of muscle in their first year of training. It's like, no, you're doing great. You, you're 17 pounds up and we're 11 months in. Like, that's fantastic. Keep going type thing. Um, but, but they're actually looking hard, like thinking it's all, it's all, it's all pointless and worthless and down on themselves. That's pretty common, whether it's, you know, men want to put on muscle, anyone wanting to lose fat, it's, it's never quite quick enough. And they're always, you know, comparing themselves to unattainable ideals often enough. And what you follow on social media, and if I, if I have a client who I get a hint of, I've worked with clients who are world-class in terms of just like how they walk around anyway, some great genetics, great hard work. And yet there's a comparison to, they cherry pick people who in their mind are perfect. That's like, holy sweet mother of God. You, first of all, you need to look around at the rest, go out in Costco sometime or, you know, and just look around at the, you know, the average person. And that's not to denigrate the average person, but, you know, understand that what you've achieved is phenomenal and you look amazing. You know, you work really hard for it, but, uh, and not to, to zero in on that one person whose image is like, oh, I wish I could look like that. It's funny you mentioned, you know, the people who are transparent and this is more of a joke, but it's partially serious. If I get someone who's kind of out there and transparent of what they're using, then I'm wondering, well, that's what they're telling us. <laughs> Rich Piana, if anyone knows who Rich Piana was, God rest his soul, he's an interesting personality to say the least. And Piana, of course, was open about you know various elements of drug use. But you look at Piana's physique, it's like there is way more going on there with that dude. If anyone doesn't know who Rich Piana is, go Google Rich and then come back and message me and go like, what the hell? I mean, Rich is an interesting looking character for sure. And I, there was definitely some real wild party lifestyle stuff that I think eventually killed him. But uh, entertaining, to say the least. But either way, mm-hmm, we'll mm-hmm. move on from that. Something else I wanted to catch before um, I run out of time here is your thoughts on longevity in the fitness industry. You know, maybe some of your own personal wisdoms as to how you've had such an enduring career and how what, what you would say to coaches who you know, want to endure in this stuff, maybe finding it challenging, uh, some, uh, some advice for longevity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so this is from as a... As- from a coach's standpoint, uh, lengthening their career as a coach. Um, 
So I think having like a white belt mentality is a really good one. Like uh, uh, always, always being open to learn and uh, never think you've made it and that you know all the answers. Um, the human body is incredibly complex and, and you, know, you can't possibly know everything about it. So constantly searching to improve upon uh, your methods and, and your knowledge base is obviously uh, fantastic. And, and then finding a passion. So mine is helping guys build muscle. Now that's great because they, you know, muscle look pretty and they feel good, but really it's the, like it's genuinely rewarding when you see like someone transform not just physically but uh, mentally and like how much more confident they are and uh you know like again from some from personal experience like i i would walk into a room and like you know if it was a busy room i'd like look down at the floor and i just hide in the corner now it's not like i go in all guns blazing i'm shouting the roof down but i'm certainly more confident and part of that has come from the physical change and also knowing that if i put the work in you know i can achieve this so if i put the work in to be more uh, social and um, you know start a conversation with something there are rewards to be had there um, so finding your passion so that may be helping perimenopausal many no, it's easy for me to say perimenopausal women to, to to navigate that 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 period of their life and and get them the most out of it i, I interviewed um for breaking muscle amanda thebe who's written a book men apocalypse and i i, I read that and, and actually recently reviewed it and like a fantastic read and but her, her passion for it comes across she's been through it she's lived through it she knows it she's researched it and now she's helping loads of people so i think if you are generally passionate about helping uh you know whatever that may be that will help because then you are motivated to, to get up to to get better and to keep doing what you're doing one of the things that really drives me nuts is people that get their first qualification and then like oh and then and they never do anything they never try and further themselves um so that that self-development whether it be reading um cal newport style books or physiology books or whatever uh try, try and just to, to be a little bit better every day um you know in that respect i think is one once you have worked out what your niche or who you like working with and that doesn't mean you have to work with very specific demographic in terms of things like my, my in-person clients were limited by by distance right people only travel so far but what i work with is people that i get on with and they put effort in and i'm happy to work with almost anyone in person if they're prepared to put the effort in um and work hard and and, and do what's what's required to, to improve um, it's not that they have to be a, a muscle building uh, uh, target. So I work with a, a wide variety of people early in my career, and then you just narrow down, these are the type of people and uh, I really like working with. And once you enjoy working with people, it doesn't really feel like going to work. So then you, that helps with longevity. I, I like the point about niching, especially. I personally have never really you know, found myself in a very narrow niche as I said earlier, I tend to work with the general population, men and women, um, age, age ranges from some young athletes, but I definitely wouldn't want to specialize in all young athletes. And then, uh, you know, some older adults, uh, my client, Larry is always featured prominently on my social media. Everybody loves Larry, a uh, 70 year old beast. He's got this Santa thing going on yet. He's just super strong, but there are people in our world that I love talking to good friends of mine. I always think of Robert Lincoln, who they didn't start out in the niche that they they're in the niche sort of found them along the way. Robert's talked to me about that before. And Robert is, is one of the world's best trainers when it comes to training older adults. And so he's got some coursework and that stuff. And if anyone isn't familiar with Robert, he doesn't have necessarily a big social media like you do. You've, you've built quite a big one, but uh, Robert quietly serves the people that he, um, he loves working with and co coaches who find him and plug into his stuff, get a lot out of it. Or I think of uh, Pete uh, Dupuis and I have had this conversation a few times, Cressy sports performance, how their early origins, they didn't decide, Hey, we want to be, 
the guys who train major minor league baseball pitchers. That was a niche that found them early. They doubled down on it and they're the world's best at it. So um, sometimes coaches, mentors will say, oh, you need to find your niche. I mean, you know, a trainer who's six months to a year and a half in the industry doesn't need to find a fucking niche. You need to find a lot of experience. You need to work with a broad array of people. Get really damn good at your craft. And along the way, maybe a niche will emerge to where you find a certain type of client you really love working with, or you end up with a a type of client who just keeps sending you more and more and more of this type of a client. And you realize, wait a second, this is a great community to work within. Using the older adult example again, this is a demographic that on average has the financial resources and probably a little bit more of a sense of urgency to want to make sure they're staying healthy. So, you know, if you get older adults in your, in your training, I mean, the ones that I have, they tend to be very, very built in long-term lifestyle clients are very dependable. They take it very seriously. Whereas, you know, you probably have, you know, at least a certain proportion of the, the young men that you train and want to put on muscle mass, they can be a little bit more transient. I'm sure you build in a lot of, you know, long-term relationships, but I'm guessing that population on an average, they want to learn the skills, put on a bit of muscle, and they may not necessarily have the financial resources to endure the way a retiree would. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, so I, uh, you know, uh, agree with, with those points. And yeah, so I train, you know, from like an 18 year old guy up to a 76 year old uh, guy and there's men and women and, uh, you know, uh, and, and all the way through that age range. Um, and the people that I have trained for the longest, well, I suppose it's slightly obvious they'd be the oldest, but um, those people in their 70s, 60s, 50s are clients that I have had for oh, well, some of them like 15 years. So I've you know had that in-person relationship with them. And of course, one of the things that is that they can afford to pay me to see me three, four times a week, whereas you know most 18-year-olds aren't in that fortunate position. I Most of the younger guys, they're online clients because it's a lower barrier to entry cost-wise. They get the tools uh, and the accountability and you know the program design, but they're it's, it's like a crash course for them in many respects. All right, okay, if I work for you with you for three to six months, I'll get a lot of these principles. I invest some money, but I then can go out and apply these myself and, and continue to progress uh, and put that into practice. And my you know, that suits my finances. Uh, quickly on the sorry, just on the niche thing, I think in person you really don't need to laser in on a niche online you need to go on the niche i actually believe that absolutely and i think that doesn't default to my my thinking because i don't really work hard on my online side of my business i have a small online business um, i definitely don't advertise it every once in a while someone pops up having read a teenage article and it's like hey you know can we talk about training online i'm like all right cool sure i have a very busy in-person business and i think you're 100 right the online in order to stand out you know if anyone goes to your profile and we're going to make sure that people now in a second know where to find you your marketing and your media is very geared towards that niche now as niches go i don't think it's a particularly narrow one which in of itself is quite brilliant because it's broad enough to attract a large array of of mostly men it's certainly in the online space but I'm guessing you know, you mentioned a couple of times that you actually do train women. I'm guessing your female clients are probably more in person on average. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. Cool. No, so that's a perfect illustration. And I've seen this before and you're absolutely right. You can definitely have two different um, almost brands in a sense between your online and your in-person stuff. And when you grow to the scale mm-hmm. of online, then the in-person it, it, it has and it always will be fed more by referral business than it necessarily will be your online. 
your yes. online brand and media is definitely one of the major um, things that fuels online uh, coaching businesses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, referrals are the best way to to, to generate businesses in in any uh, in either version, but they are far more likely to come in person. Um, and you know, the person is then sold on you before they even come to meet you because they've had third party endorsement from someone they trust. Uh, so yes, absolutely. And yeah, and you're right. The the people I train in person, men and women, um, are much more um, sort of as a percentage. Uh, far more uh, women whereas online I have a handful of female clients but they are uh, the exception awesome well let's tell people where to find you online uh pretty easy uh, except for, oh look at hang on a minute we've been uh, your, your cat what's uh, that that is a, a monster yeah, Ozzy. So uh, Ozzy. Ozzy just kicked her out. So I've scooped him up for obviously everybody listening can't see him. Uh, much more interesting talking about cats than uh, than finding out where you can follow me on Instagram or whatever. But uh, yeah, we we have a we have a cat Bella. We we got her. Um, oh, she's she's just over six months old now. So nowhere near that size. Well, let's think about it. I mean, again, I'm six foot two and two hundred and fifty five pounds, and so everybody listening doesn't quite get this. Although if you go and see Ozzy on my profile, you'll sometimes see him. But I mean, like I've got him up in my arms and he's like the entire breadth of my upper body. So he's a big fluffy dude. You didn't, yeah, you didn't need to get any weights for the home gym. Just, uh, just lift Aussie a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's heavy enough. He, um, um, reminds me of, uh, like when I had a cat called Eminem when I was a kid, like that kind of size, like big fluff ball, big old cat. There we go. Um, yeah. And that makes me, Bella needs to start making some gains. She's a behavioral hard gainer. I'll start feeding her up. Whereas this guy uh, has no trouble with appetite whatsoever. So I have to ration out his food. So we, we, <laughs> Ozzy interrupted. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 Find you. Uh, me. Um, yes. So pretty easy. Uh, once you can spell my name, that is. So TomMcCormick.com. Uh, all of the links are on there or the social media I'm most active on is um, Instagram. And I am just at Tom McCormick there. And it's M-A-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's correct. It's a, it's a tricky one. Um, Mac, core, Mick. Um, but there's, there's two, it's, there's an A and then two C's, which throws people off. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's one people struggle with this. And no, hardly anyone's ever spelt it right the first time, but yeah, mess around with that experiment with Googling that you'll, you'll find me. Beautiful. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you taking the time. It's always fun to get to chat a little bit more like this versus just, uh, you know, the messages on, uh, on social media. And for everybody listening, thank you again for being uh, loyal and consistent. Uh, I still have to work up uh, some schedule stuff for the next few weeks. My hope is that everything will go according to plan. And again, I apologize for the disruption that I had recently. And, uh, and Tom, thank you so much. Please guys go follow Tom, check out what he's doing, especially if you're a younger guy who wants to put on muscle. But honestly, I hope everybody listening got a lot out of that and uh, stay tuned and I should be with you next week.